0: This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may have seen street performers who appear to be levitating we don't get many street performers in this neighborhood, but if you take the risk to go downtown where it's not safe and anything could happen, uh, you may find somewhere, uh, somebody just floating, uh, still sometimes it's somebody that's just holding onto a stick in their body as they are, or somebody that's leaning at, uh, such an extreme angle. You can't imagine how they could do it for 10 minutes. But if you're there when they're setting up or when they're breaking down, um, there's a simple explanation for it if you just stare at them it, it defies what the uh what the eye can observe uh, but there's just a metal structure that they set up and there's a, a metal base that they put a mat on and then there's a metal pole that they plug into that and uh and they surround that with something that depending on the theme of what they're doing that could look like a big stick or a staff and they typically are wearing baggy clothing so they get the pole going through their arm and uh, and hold on to it and then just sit on a platform and have their clothes cover the platform. Once you see the frame, it's actually quite simple. Uh, there's nothing that remarkable about it. Uh, but if you don't know what's holding things together, if you don't know how it works, it could be quite mind baffling. And when when we look at it, the world and we try to make sense of the world and we think, well, what holds things together? Well, we have certain things. Well, gravity holds the physical elements of the world together but gravity isn't the explanation for what's holding a a married couple together um what is it that's holding the world together and the bible's answer is well god is holding things together god who created the world also sustains the world but we don't see god and so because we don't see god it's hard to understand how things fit together Uh, And yet we're at a stage where we're as a society less and less willing to uh, to really consider how God might be an ultimate explanation for things. And what we're finding is that the explanations we've come up with for how things hold together are insufficient. And we seem to be in a time where society is breaking down, where uh, where we're growing more and more divided and more and more confused and more and more anxious and it feels like without the explanation of how things are holding together, we're not able to hold things together. It could feel a little bit like things are unraveling. As we go into 2024, a new year always brings a lot of hope for new opportunities. But this being an election year, um, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I imagine there's a good chance it won't bring out the best of humanity it might show just how different we are and how we can't find common grounds and how divided we are and that's going to be really hard Chris, jesus calls us into a different way of life to see something of this foundation that holds our lives together but holds us Uh, connecting us to God, connecting us to what God is doing. And so we're resuming today our series in the book of Ephesians. For the fall, we were looking at Ephesians. We took a break for the month of December to look at Christmassy themes and texts. Uh, But today we're picking back up with Ephesians that will take us into the spring. And the sermon series is called Join Together, Growing Together. Uh, Those terms, those languages, those concepts come right out out of the book of Ephesians. And, and Ephesians is always a good book for a church community to be looking at, but at a time period where it really is hard to think of what holds us together. Is there any possibility that I'm connected to anything meaningful, that my my life has hope, progress, that I could have friendship, that I could really have support? Uh, and Ephesians is saying, yes, you can. The church, with the Spirit of God, is meant to provide those things, but we're all a little bit tired and we're all uh, perhaps um, enjoying some of the flexibilities that come with post COVID life, but also bearing the byproduct of feeling like we just don't have the energy to take the effort to do the things we feel that we should do, or that probably would help us deepen in friendships or get more connected. And so this is an opportunity for us as a church to think, well, if there is this unity, if there is this reality, how do, we, how do we dig deeper into it so we could also experience the growth, the life, the maturing, the hopefulness that comes with the life that we're invited to? So this morning, as we pick back up with the series, I want to focus on that theme of unity. You can see it's in our passage. Uh, and where I want to begin is by talking about the source of unity. So this is the first thing. I'm going to talk about the source of unity. What holds all things together? Well, the story of the bible the bible begins the opening words in the beginning god and then it goes on to tell the story all things begin with god and that is the beginning point for us what is the source of god who makes all things and therefore god is the one who holds all things together and uh therefore what what we find that paul is encouraging the ephesians to is to remember god is the initiator god began all things including um, our lives and our life in Christ. And so he uses the language of calling in verse four as a reminder that it's not about what we want and what we choose, but about God who is gracious and kind, who's inviting you to join life with him. And so in verse four, the reminder is to remember, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, And so the call to follow Jesus is inherently hopeful, and he refers to it as one hope. Now it's interesting because there's lots of particular things that we may be hoping for. Each of us may find a different facet of Christianity appealing, and yet there's a a unified reality that what we have in common is one hope, unlike a lot of what brings people together, which is to have a common enemy. We hate the same thing and that builds community. Here we say we hope for the same thing. And what is that one hope? Well, that hope is God-centered, even if the particular thing you're hoping for is for forgiveness or for eternal life or for healing or for any of the things that that we can say, these are um, aspects of the hopeful message of Christianity. Uh, But Paul is saying, but fundamentally, there's one hope. We're all looking to God. That's the center, the source. And he calls us, he invites us into life with him. And it's that life in him that creates this new living possibility, this connection that as we join with God, we don't simply join with God, but we join with God's people. And in that sense, we're a new family. There's a new unity. So in verses four to six, we find he uses the word one a lot this theme of unity, um, but as a, as a Christian way of thinking about how unity works, uh, it, it's helpful to understand that while we are monotheists, we affirm one God only, we're also, as Christians, Trinitarian, which, which then creates new possibilities. And so in verse four, he speaks of one body, God's people, but one spirit. And so that unity of body and spirit is important. There's one Lord, and the title in the New Testament of Lord, that's, that's how Jesus is referred to. Uh, so it's clear from the context, that's what he's talking about. One Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, because that's what we're called to is faith in Christ, and one baptism. So there's a baptism into Christ, but Matthew's instruction is to go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism into the life of this one God, but that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And in verse 6, there's one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. So there's one Spirit, there's one Lord, there's one Father. And that is everything. That's what holds things together. It's what creates the possibility of the the tension and the complexity of Christianity that allows for uh, the kinds of things that otherwise we can't achieve. Uh, some of us really like unity and we um, maybe therefore demand conformity. Some of us really like diversity or individuality, but how do we do it at the same time? How do we make sure that we have something in common, that we're not against one another, um, but that we're not bland or ordinary or wiping out distinction? And here within the, the, the way that Christians are being trained to think, we're called into the life of God, where, where fundamentally God is one and God is in all and through all, and therefore there's a unified reality. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's not individuality or diversity, because that one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just like the one body of Christ, maybe New York, or Presbyterian, or American, uh, or any location, any group of people, any language. Uh, that on the one hand, we're one in Christ, but on the other hand, we maintain distinctions, and therefore it creates this beautiful possibility And so uh, the the image here, the primary image, uh, as it relates to us is this one body and one spirit in verse four. There's a number of images that that are used in the book of Ephesians, but this imagery of a body, just like in Genesis two, where God forms Adam, whose name means humanity from the dust, and then breathes his breath into him, making him a living being. So Jesus is calling us to assemble, to be one body, and then the, the spirit of God is breathed into us, so that we become a living body. And so Paul uses this, Paul who writes Ephesians, uses this body imagery in different places. In 1 Corinthians, he's trying to highlight diversity, just as a body has different parts, and yet all parts work together. Uh, So the church is one, and yet we're distinct, and yet we're working together. In Ephesians 4, the concept of the body has to do with maturity and growth that he's calling us into life in christ but wanting us to grow just as a human body would it grows simultaneously um sometimes depending on at what ages people go through a stage where maybe their head is a little bit disproportionate and you know uh, when the body doesn't grow exactly simultaneously you could see it but the idea is is uh over time the body is going to grow together and and that's what we're being called to is that 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 there is one people joined together And the spirit is at work in us so we're growing together we're maturing we're deepening we're being changed we're being transformed and we're part of the the means of that so what is the source of our unity. It's a God centered unity it's a source that's rooted in the call to come to life in God Jesus will lead us there, the spirit will be present God who is over all and in all and through all. uh, Is the source of unity so that's the first thing our source of unity. Secondly, I want to talk about the task of the unified, because he's exhorting us here. He's asserting a reality. We are one. But now he's wanting us to live out of that reality. So first, the source of unity. Now, secondly, the task of the unified. The task of the church is not to become one. It's not to come up with a plan for how to unify. It's to recognize the reality that God has made us one. And we should be eager, verse three says, to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So our call is not to make one church, uh, but to accept the reality that the church is one by God's design and to maintain that unity, that bond. We should be at peace with God and at peace with one another. It is because we have not maintained that unity that then it does become the task of the church to recognize that we have divided and we need to figure out how do we fix this. Um, But according to the design of the church, there's what's sometimes described as an invisible church, united by the spirit, people called, chosen by God, um, people who evidence the fruit of the spirit. Um, There is an invisible church seen to God, but that church is meant to be a visible church. We are, we are embodied beings that then is meant to take the teachings of Jesus. And so if somebody's hungry, we don't simply offer them an encouragement for their minds while they batter their hunger, but, but we go and we uh, encourage them as we feed them. And there's a sense in which the church, uh, the invisible reality is meant to be made visible. And so we have this odd tension now where uh, by the design of God, the church is one. But by the immaturity of we who were in the church we've divided and in some cases it's. um, somewhat innocent and unfortunate we have different understandings different theological positions, and so we simply agree to disagree, we have respect we're not calling names, but we just have to act out of our own convictions to a certain sense that's okay. Um, But of course you look at church history and it's a lot more complicated than that. Our divisions were not simply always agreeing to disagree, but sometimes it was threatening to kill those who didn't agree. And therefore there's something uh, in the life of the church where we've failed to understand this reality, we've failed to grow and mature in it, and therefore we've failed to maintain the unity. And what happens is that the church becomes no different from the world. Jesus calls us into the life of God It involves a whole new way of living and yet we're so slow to really grow and to learn uh, and therefore we don't take on the characteristics we don't trust god enough to do what he lays out and then we find that division ultimately comes and so in order to maintain this bond of peace paul tells us in verse 2 that we need to do these things with humility with gentleness with patience we should be bearing with one another in love Um, those are the attributes of God that became clearest in Jesus Christ. He came with humility. He was gentle and lowly. He was patient with those who didn't understand and were arguing with him. He was bearing with even his own disciples. This is the nature of Jesus. This is not always the nature of us. And so what are the characteristics we display? Not humility, but pride. We get offended easily. I want to be better than others. That will not work if we want to maintain the unity of the church. Instead of gentleness, there's harshness. We lose our patience. Instead of patience, uh, there's impatience. Uh, Eventually we just, we get frustrated. We we don't want to endure the challenges, whether it's the boredom or the difficulties. And so we just fade away and we don't bear with one another in love. Instead, there's indifference, there's loathing, there's contempt. We we allow resentment uh, to make its way into our community. And there's a certain sense of, uh, in which, of course, this is understandable. Uh, the church is a gathering of sinners, we're people that all need forgiveness. We all need change, and that forg- the forgiveness may be instantaneous, but the change happens over time. And so, one of the reasons that we need patience and gentleness and to bear one another's burdens is because all of us uh, are flawed, and therefore, real church community will require us to exercise these attributes of patience and humility and gentleness. But there should be an eagerness to maintain that unity of what we've been called to, trusting that if we're willing to do the hard work, the outcome will be good. It'll be growth, maturing, and life. And, and therefore, it's important for us to uh, to recognize that, that Jesus wants us to, to keep the central things central. So for example, he says, when you gather on the first day of the week, or as often as you do and you break bread do it in remembrance of me if this gathering is a holy gathering if you're a people set apart um, make sure that that uh, this gathering uh, has a different basis and so as a church we do this every week lots of churches do somewhere once a month or less frequently Uh, but every time we gather as a church there's that table where there's bread and and jesus now is talking about the body that is his that has the spirit but he talks also about the body that he took on and and this practice in the gathering of the church to make sure that we will remember what is it that unifies us well it's a god-centered unity it's a unity that requires humility on our behalf we don't come in with pride assuming that we're better than anyone or that we belong because we've earned a place by how we've behaved this week but we come in remembering that it's god who calls us and so our practice is to Invite the church forward. (laughs) Come. uh, Come, remember the call to life with Christ. And uh, remember what Jesus has done on our behalf. And, And every week we have an opportunity to set time apart, to rehearse, to remember this reality that's otherwise unseen and therefore easy to forget, which is that there's an invisible spiritual reality. We assemble in the name of God with God present, And therefore the Father is all and in all and through all and we don't see him. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father seated in the heavens. How is it that he's with us? Well, by his spirit. And he says, when you break bread and remember me, well, then I'm with you. I'm with you right there by my spirit. And I have come down to be with you. And as I feed you, I'm inviting you to come up and be with me to lift us up to a greater vision of God's grace and glory. And it's a sign that reminds us that Jesus is so different Uh, in how he unifies us from the way of the world, that he comes without pride, Uh, he comes without impatience, he comes uh, without contempt, but instead he comes humbly uh, to give himself for us. And so the unity of the church is not what we have done, but what he who calls us has done for us. And so each week we take a piece of bread and we say there is one body, and here it is, the body of Christ, but that body was broken and then we break it into pieces. And we say, and we're a bunch of different people who live differently, and maybe we don't all like each other as much as we should, and maybe there's a little conflict happening or a little bit of edginess or impatience, but here we are. We're assembled, and we're remembering the one who called us, who comes with humility, who comes with patience, who says, I've broken my body for you. Now come, I'm calling you to to eat and to drink and to be nourished and to to re-enter this Trinitarian life of God. And so we rise up and we come forward after confessing our sins and we come with our empty hands and we're told that now a piece of Christ is handed to you because if he calls you, he gave himself for you. And to remember what he did on your behalf, that he forgives you, he's gracious, he loves you, he bears patiently. So gather, not just you and the Lord, but you and the Lord's people. Uh, which is why one of the things he tells us is if you're offering your gift and you realize somebody has something against you, go and be reconciled. So that time that we take before the Lord's Supper as a church where we confess our sins, where we say, Lord, I, I haven't done enough this week to earn my place at the table, but I'm coming again with humility, trusting that you're patient. And in that moment, if you have an awareness as you're confessing you did something that you need to apologize for, In that moment, as a person committed to that unity, that reconciliation, you admit it and you make a plan to go and fix it. And so the patterns of the reconciled community that we remember that our source is Christ who gave himself for us, though we didn't deserve it, that he feeds us though uh, we are hungry, unworthy people, that we who by nature are divided and would divide, Jesus comes and calls us into a new way of life. And so he invites us into his life. And that's an example of being a God-centered church every week where we come together and say, now let's remember. If this is true that we're one, it's because of the God who calls us. And here's a reminder of what Jesus had to, has done to make us one. It's that reminder of the goodness of what we receive, that Jesus has done this for us. Jesus bears patiently with us in love. Jesus who's humble, gentle, kind. When you start to appreciate how consistent that is, week after week, he still calls you, he still invites you, he still shows you grace and favor. It then creates the possibility where we start to see that is good (laughs) it is so good that he is so patient so kind with me that despite my flaws he invites me again to come and to receive strength and to be encouraged and to grow and that creates that eagerness that we say "I, i want more of this i want i want the way god treats me to be the way everyone treats me And until they do, that's going to be the way I start to treat others. And so if this is what I'm receiving from God, I I want to be eager to maintain that life. Uh, The vision of it is glorious. The working out of it is quite challenging. Exercising patience is a virtue, but it's not easy uh, to withhold your frustration, to bear with a difficult situation when you want to fix it, but you can't and yet real christian community requires that so if we want to not just be an invisible an invisibly united church but a visibly divided church if we want to be a visible church that shows the invisible reality we are required to practice these things we need to humble ourselves we need to be patient we need to bear with one another in love it's not always easy but it's inherently good it's it aligns with the reality that is presented. God has made us one. Do we believe that? We'll be eager to maintain that. And the eagerness is important because, yes, the sacrifice is real. At times you won't want to do it, at times you want to withdraw from the church or particular people in the church. But we're called to keep coming and returning. Uh, and it's that eagerness to, to recognize that the gospel makes new things possible. We really could patiently love one another, we could really mature, we could really grow together and the eagerness for that then strengthens us to be willing to do the hard work in the moments. uh, Because we know that the life and the way of God is good so I'm going to move into the third thing first was the source of unity second the task of the unified but here's the third thing i'm going to talk about today the way of Union. And so uh, we're called to be eager to maintain the unity of the body. And so what is the way that we do that? Well, there's a shift in how we understand everything. The invitation, the call into life with God is meant to change how we think, how we behave, how we treat one another, what we prioritize. And so he begins in verses one and two by urging us. He spent the first three chapters reminding us of who we have been, He says, remember that you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were strangers and aliens who did not know God, but God being rich in mercy um, brought renewal. He cleansed you. He forgave you. All of these things. And now, Paul is saying, if this is ultimately true, that, that now you're not some isolated, broken person, but you're invited to join with God and to receive growth and healing and to be part of his family, well, then there's an urging. and That word urge gives a certain importance to it. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so there's that concept. It is God who calls us, it is God who invites us, it is God who leads us, it is God who is with us, it is God who is at work. And he's saying, now be eager to maintain that, but also walk in this new way worthy of this calling and, and, and notice his perspective. He doesn't say, look, remember that all that God did for you, you better now not mess it up. You better not show how ungrateful you are. You better not try God's patience. He says, don't you understand the goodness of the life God has called you to? Why would you not be eager to maintain that? So I'm urging you, don't go back to your old ways. Don't, don't allow your impatience to to dominate your life. Don't allow your pride to be the thing that determines how you relate to people. But understand the way of Christ, this way of goodness, and he's urging us to walk in that manner, worthy of that calling. It's a different mindset. It's a a mindset that says we need to remember the goodness of the good news. We need to be eager for more of this strengthening, more of this grace, uh, so that we give ourselves to maintaining the unity, to promoting the unity. Um, I read this week uh, a Christian author who posted on his blog a, a story where uh, he bumped into a woman who had a Harry Potter tattoo on her forearm, and he he uh, was sharing his speculations of, of what he would get if he were to get a Harry Potter tattoo, which it is clear he was not going to do. So that's why he wrote about it rather than going and getting the tattoo. Uh, but with if there's no doubt in his mind, he said, without a doubt, having seen that, if I were to tattoo something on my forearm, forearm, it would be the words, you're a wizard, Harry. For him as a writer, he said, that is the most fundamental line uh, that unites the whole book, the whole series of seven books. And it comes early on. It's the words of Hagrid. So for, the, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Harry Potter story, Harry is an orphan. And he goes to live with his uncle and his aunt, and they are cruel. And um, they treat him terribly. They have their own spoiled child that they treat wonderfully. And they, they don't tell Harry anything about his parents. Uh, they don't tell him anything um, uh, or much about his own wife. And Harry is just of the impression that he's a loser, that he's unwanted. And uh, this school, Hogwarts, has been sending him notices, inviting him to come and study. And Harry's uncle and aunt are just throwing them out. And so this figure from Hogwarts, Hagrid, shows up. Uh, and he comes to personally invite Harry to come and study. And then he's utterly surprised to find out that Harry knows nothing. That his uncle and aunt have not told him that he's famous. That there are all these people who know who he is. And and the, the aunt and uncle have not told him of of the honorable work and the important courageous work that his parents had done. They kept all of this hidden. And Hagrid in a moment of uh, unbelief and anger and frustration or whatever it was, he just reveals the truth, Harry, you're a wizard. And, and the guy who shares this story, I think what, what connected with him was the, the sense of where we go through life and the world sort of communicates, you know, you don't belong, you're not good enough. You're a loser. We're not going to tell you any of the reality of grace and hope and possibility. We're just going to talk about your flaws. We're going to talk about what you need to do to be with us. We're going to, we're going to talk about these things. And here's somebody who, who's thinking about whether or not he should tattoo this phrase on his arm. This moment if only somebody would come to him and tell him who he is. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, you know, Jesus comes and he calls you. and He says, do you know who you are? that God in his grace, he knows you with all of your flaws, but but he wants you to come and he will forgive you and he will give you life and he will heal you and he will bear patiently with you. So Paul says that this is not something that we see. This is hidden in the way that the world is organized and functions. Paul says, but you're a Christian. So I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling And it's something that we take for granted because, I'm sorry, the unbelief that the world fundamentally says, you just gotta be good enough or you don't belong. And Jesus comes in humility and patience and says, that's not the way of God. And God is so hidden in this world. Don't get caught up in the division, in the frustration, in the anger. But remember who you can be because of who God called you to be and now live a life worthy of that calling it's a very different mindset it's a mindset that that transforms that performative nature the religious nature the insecure nature that says we could trust him he's kind and gracious and now take that seriously be eager to maintain that um, don't take for granted what you are called to uh, Verse one, Paul says, therefore, I, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in this manner. He's not using a metaphor. He's writing this from prison. And so you would think that Paul would say, look, as an apostle, I'm commanding you to be obedient. Don't you understand what God has done for you? He says, as a prisoner of somebody who can't roam around on the outside because the government has confined me but I'm not a prisoner for Rome. I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. So even if Rome will confine me to this place, I will do what I can to encourage and exhort the church. And by God's design, he not only from prison encouraged the Ephesian church, but for 2000 years has encouraged the church throughout the globe. That's the nature of God's mysterious way in the world. You can try to hold him back. But this announcement, this call, he will find the way you could imprison his apostle, his messenger, but the word of God is not bound. And so uh, the power of the spirit is still sending the invitation out, calling people to come. Um, A few years ago, I had a conversation with a guy who was coming back to church And his story was that he had grown up with a faithful Christian mother who brought him to church. And um, he fell away, not because he had a problem with the church. Unfortunately, that is sometimes the story that people have a, a particularly bad experience. He didn't have a bad experience. It just grew to be less compelling. He grew more indifferent to it. The church was boring, irrelevant. This guy happened to be super bright, so he got to college. And he realized there was a whole sophisticated world out there, and he just didn't have time for the, the foolishness of what the simple people go to. And so in graduate school, he did an internship, and he worked at a place where uh, they would take him out quite often. And as an intern, I think hoping that they might find a match for, the, uh, for after graduation. Hey, you want to order the $125 steak? No problem, do it. Go ahead, have a third cocktail. And he found himself sitting there thinking, I'm I'm about to make a choice with with what I'm going to give my life to. And he started to lose trust that they were interested in him, but just interested in in what he can do as he performed for them. And then he looked around and said, at some point, steak and cocktails are not going to satisfy my soul. Here was a guy that was looking for something deeper, and he thought that he would find it apart from the church. He, He was of the impression that he had matured higher to a new level. And he found instead what he realized is he didn't grow to the next level of wisdom and insight, but he wandered from the simple but very basic reality, which is this unity in God and the life that is ours in him. And so so he made this decision at that stage in his life to return to the church, uh, to come to a place where, where what he did that week didn't Make a difference on whether or not he belonged here, and it's funny. We live in a city where, where nearly all of us are saying we value all people. Uh, we wanna, we wanna be for the lowest to the greatest, and yet, who are we gonna hang out with? <laughs> um, there's something about showing up at a bit of church that anyone could come to that's not really attractive. You know, you want to hang out at the university club or you want to hang out with some place where when you show in, when you show up, you know that you did something that that means you belong there. Uh, we are called to come. We're not compelled. There's no status in this. There's there's nobody that's going to be impressed with this gathering. But we're told But there's an entirely different reality that to be sustained in a city like New York, do you have a, a place to go where just who you are, the reality in the depths of who you are, where you can go? And you belong because of the God who called you, not because of the people around you and what they think of you. And I think this individual realized he, he thought he was getting sophisticated, but he, in his case, he was getting prideful. Um, and then he realized he was longing for something that was missing from seven years of his life. And he was coming back. And that's the nature of the patience of God. He was welcome. There was no work that he needed to do. He could just come in and come back because God called him and invited him. God invites us to assemble regularly. Remember this reality. Remember that that in God, there is one hope. There is one Lord. There's one baptism. There's a God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. There's one spirit and therefore we're one body. And so Paul says, now I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And so as we enter into 2024, whatever hopes and aspirations you have, um, listen for the voice of God. Walk according to the Spirit. Believe the gospel of what Jesus has done for you. Um, And somehow it'll come together. That's the promise. That's the nature of God and his grace to his people. Let me pray for us. Our Father, um, it is so hard for us to believe, even no matter how long any of us may have been Christian, or no matter how much uh, any of us have done work to try to make sense of our lives or this world. Um, Lord, we need continued grace, continued patience. We thank you for this one hope that you invite us into your life, and that through that life, you're gonna do something to sustain us and to grow us and to change us. To help us as individuals where we need encouragement and help, Help us as a church uh, to grow in patience, to grow in humility, to be willing to bear with one another in love, to have an eagerness, a joy, that by maintaining the unity of what you have done for us, we would trust that um, we will benefit from participation in the life of your family, your people. Help us with these things, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please rise if you're able, and let's respond in song.